0: Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of Parallel Quest. Parallel Quest is a podcast of Steel Lake Studio. Please head over to steellakestudio.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on the listening platform of your choice. And if you've enjoyed our content in any way, shape, or form, and would like to support the show, you can do so at our Patreon page. You can check out some of the offerings that we have at steellakestudio.com Patreon. You can get bonus content, such as some of our short stories and our premium video series. If you would like to support the show, we appreciate that very much. Head over to steellakestudio.com slash Patreon. Today's episode, we are sponsored by Audible. We thank Audible for sponsoring this episode, and today we are talking about the story, Jurassic Park. And Jurassic Park has a fantastic audiobook that you could check out today with your free trial of Audible, offering premium audio content through audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts. And you can use our code today. That's audibletrial.com slash parallelquest. Again, audibletrial.com slash parallelquest to claim a free audiobook today. So please be sure to head over and check it out. We think you'll enjoy it audibletrial.com slash parallelquest. Thank you, Audible. And without any more introduction, we are going to get into today's episode talking about Jurassic Park, both the film and the novel we think you'll enjoy. So let's get into it. Welcome to Parallel Quest, a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and tell the personal stories of the impact they have had on our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe better said, across the internet from me, my great friend and co-host, Zach Butler. Zach, how you doing today?
1: What's up? God bless you super fun to talk about this episode god
0: but. bless you
1: <laughs> been waiting to say that all week <laughs>
0: right uh yeah yep yeah, so for anyone who didn't catch the joke our our main topic today is jurassic park and that is a line from the movie that young timmy says and we'll get there at some point but zach man it For those who are listening to the podcast, they're not going to really experience any break in recordings, but we have not recorded a podcast in like three weeks, Mm. and it's crazy. Life's been nuts. So what's been going on with you?
1: Oh, man. Well, the store has been busy. Life has been busy. Um, I actually – so I had my best, then my worst, and then my best idea – all in the matter of about 5 minutes at work the other day and <laughs> it was this, it was a roller coaster of emotions but i had changed a thing in our system around at work where orders being taken from the cars it, it was just going to make it a lot easier and so i'd gone in and changed like the nuts and bolts of the system and i was like this is going to work this is going to be great i was walking around i was like i just made your life easier i just made your life easier like typing it up big time. And so we get into the, the the busy part of our day and cars are coming everywhere. And I'm like, yes, the system's working. This is great. And all of a sudden on my radio, I'm standing outside at this point getting some sun because it was, it was finally nice. The weather finally broke. And I was outside just making sure everything was going well. And I hear over the radio, one of the girls' voices, um, Zach... Uh, the iPad is not working anymore, and that basically meant that the entire system wasn't working anymore because everything that I had done that morning to change it all kind of relied on this one iPad working for the whole day, uh-huh. and about twelve thirty it stopped working. Twelve thirty, one o'clock, it just it froze, and so I was like, "Oh my gosh, no!" And so I could already hear people. Complaining, this is terrible. Like, why would you do? I just knew this was coming, and so I sprint. We got a off. virus
0: out here. I just want my chicken. I know you guys exactly. can't even get like, that I'm right.
1: Sorry, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> and so
1: I'm sprinting across. Like, I get on the actually before I start running, I get back on the the walkie, and I was like, "All you have to do is just no." Actually, I'm coming to you. And then I just hung up and just sprinted across our parking lot to her. And I get there and she's kind of pale faced and uh, I don't know what, I don't know. And there's a person next to her, what's going on here. And everything is stopped because all the cars at our store have to go to this one point. And so the whole thing's backed up and I'm like, this is the worst idea I've ever had. This was definitely not something I should have done. And so I get in and I'm hitting buttons. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm assuring everybody. I know what I'm doing here. (laughs) And I reset the system on a prayer. And the whole time I'm praying, just please let this work. Please just the the classic it move, just turn it off, turn it back on. That was the only thing I had at that moment. (laughs) That was the best (laughs) problem solving thing I had at the moment. And I see the little, the little app pop up and it starts loading and I'm just watching it load. I'm like, load, load. It's like watching a video game loading. And you're like, please don't freeze. Please don't freeze. Please don't freeze. I just need to save. I need to save. And so it gets to the end and it loads. And I was just, oh, thank you. Thank you. And it starts working again. And once again, I had the best idea. So it was a roller coaster of emotions the other day, but I, I had the best then the worst and then the best idea. And it's still working to this day, our new system. So <laughs> well, still there you go. out some
0: kinks, but it's, it's <laughs> been an eventful week, man. It's been good. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that it all panned out. And that is hilarious. I just... Cause I can't, cause I know you so well, I can just imagine <laughs> your reaction. Like, okay, what you got to do is wait, no, I'm, I'm coming to you. <laughs> I'm just, I'll just In do it. I'll sprint. just do it. Full sprint. I'm coming. Uh, it was it was great, man. Uh, and I always wonder what I'm, people
1: think of me when I'm sprinting in my full Chick Fil A like outfit. <laughs> just, I I kind of hope in the back of my mind they think I look athletic. I'm like, oh man, that guy must have played sports or something. But I know I'd probably just look like a goof running across
0: <laughs> running in your Chick Fil A. If you put the cow hat on before you went out, then you'd really then you'd really yeah, turn yeah, you'd really heads, be turning some put on the <laughs> put on the cow head. I'm imagining you like. You've seen Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Oh yeah. You know when she, uh, well, I guess it's Robin Williams. So when he's coming (laughs) to help do the Heimlich maneuver on Pierce Brosnan, help is underway. Help! (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining Uh, you running. Help is underway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but it
1: was it was great Uh, though. Like it was, I was really proud of everybody because for the most part, everyone kept their cool. I think I was probably the only one who lost. Which is not any shocker to anyone at our store that I might have lost my cool a little bit just
0: trying to figure it out. So, <laughs> oh man, that's what awesome. have you been up to, man? Well, uh, Frozen 2 has been a big thing in my house, Ooh. so we're going through a phase right now. For those of you who haven't picked up on this, I have kids at home. You know, it's it's not just me and my wife sitting here watching Frozen two every day. Uh, we've got kids at home, and my daughter, she's two. She's starting to get into that that phase of life where she she likes to sing. She likes to sing a lot. She likes to act like a little princess, a little diva. And so mm. we we're singing a lot of Frozen two songs at home. And something that's just so funny is. She, she knows all the rhymes, but she doesn't know all the words. So she'll <laughs> kind of like mumble some of the words and then she'll sing like really loud, like forever. <laughs> and and so it's just really done. funny in her two year old voice to hear. But the thing is, as soon as you turn a camera on and you want to get it on film, cause I want to send it to my parents or something done. She, she won't sing like, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic. Right. And in some ways I kind of love that. Right. I don't necessarily want a little, yeah. well, a little yeah, camera, camera girl, shot. but, uh, as soon as you try and get a video, uh, it just all shuts down. It all shuts down. But, uh, so she won't yeah, be we've been a
1: TikTok profile anytime soon.
0: No, absolutely not. Uh, no way. I don't, I, I haven't even tried TikTok. I see like <laughs> the little videos that people repost on Twitter and it's like, Oh, that looks like fun. But I, it just doesn't look like Cody. But yeah. maybe, maybe like a younger Cody would have liked that. But <laughs> current current stage of life, Cody, it, I just it, have too dark. much. I've got too much other stuff going on. I can't, I can't be making time for TikTok. Filming uh, yourself, doing just some ridiculous too, stuff. Too many balls in the air. I, what I need to do is, I just need to bring the camera in the closet with me here, and and we'll just <laughs> film some clips. Give of, a, yeah, like <laughs> of studio. the podcast. But. We're in that seasonal life, Zach. Do you have to do the lawn where you're at? You have to. Do I do lawn? actually do okay. the lawn.
1: Yeah, yeah. All I right, live so. in a duplex, but I, I mow both of our sides. It takes me about 15 minutes. Okay. Wow, oh, jeez, lucky Yeah, it's guy. a very small yard. It's
0: it's Pittsburgh, so, man. So I don't have a huge yard, but I have a big enough yard to where it takes me some time to cut the grass, and I don't really have, I don't I don't have a lot of luck. Because every time I've been able to cut the grass, it's been raining. So up until last week, I was working nights. So I was working like 2 to 9.30 for four weeks straight because of dividing the workforce for COVID-19 response. And at that point, it was just, I, I if I don't get it on a Saturday, I'm not getting it done, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm not going to try and cut my grass at 11 a.m., shower, and then hopefully make it to... To work on time. Just wasn't really to run willing to run the risk on that. But got a chance to cut the grass this past weekend, and I'm starting to get really frustrated. Like I and I'm I'm gonna probably put cameras up and try and figure out where in the world is all the trash coming from that is ending (laughs) up on my tree lawn. Like I live on the corner of my street, so I live on the corner of two roads, right? And Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's people just doing a drive by and throwing their trash out the window and, and laughing as they go by or or if it's like some some teenagers, they're on a walk and and they they just throw their trash on the tree lawn. And, and and here's here's how I know it's not mine. Everybody, if you didn't know this about me, Cody doesn't drink. Cody does not drink alcohol. It's uh it's just a choice that I've made. And I found when I cut the grass yesterday, I found three cans of white claw. Like three how does how oh. do three cans of white claw end up on my yard? And I found a can of bush light. Like obviously <laughs> I'm starting to think at this point. I'm like, what are like teenagers coming and partying yeah, yeah, out in my tree been. lawn on, on sure Fridays sure or whatever? So so I'm getting a little frustrated with this. So I will update you guys as I go into an investigative report of trying to figure out where the mess is coming from in my tree lawn, because, because it just drives me nuts. And you know, you go to cut the grass and my grass is a little tall, right? I haven't got out there. And then I just, you're like, and I'm like, what the heck is that? What's going on? So, so I, I'm doing a careful, a careful, uh, combing of the lawn before, before I cut the grass from now on, because last I, thing I need is like a a piece of shrapnel going into my shin while I'm trying to do my household duties. Oh man, try,
1: yeah, I'm I'm in favor of the uh, the couple that is walking and constantly going past your house and tossing their beer cans on your lawn. I hope <laughs> just, it's, it comes to that.
0: Just going on the evening walk, <laughs> getting a little walking, tipsy before going home. Just, you know, like maybe
1: a bush light.
0: Cause, cause, cause you know, the, the COVID people just want to get outside a little exactly. bit. It's it's I'm, more I'm depressing when man. you're drinking at home. So yeah. you
1: <laughs> On the go. <laughs> that's, that's hey, great, man. I'm,
0: I'm sorry for your lawn, but. Hey, yeah. it's, it's okay. Don't worry about my lawn. I'm more concerned about my mower blade and, <laughs> you know, my limbs at this point.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a, a, a father of three concern there. I'm more yeah. just like, oh.
0: Why did you bring any for me? <laughs> right. Hey, knock on the door next time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just felt like I should share that because if any of you have any weird, weird littering stories, I'd love to hear them. Send send them to us in our in our, in the comments. Go over to our website steelakestudio.com, Go to the community tab and put in a contact form. Tell us your stories about littering. Like the weirdest littering stories you've ever, ever heard, ever experienced. Love to hear that from you. And maybe we can have a discussion around that.
1: if if you are a felon because of littering, (laughs) I really want to hear it. Like, please, please reach out to us if you've actually been involved with the law in littering. Because you know what? I see those signs all the time that are like $2,500 littering fine, $500 fine for littering. And I'm always curious as to why they had to
0: put that sign up there, yeah, and if exactly. they ever had to enforce that that fine, yeah, it's a good thing. I'd love to hear that too. If, if anyone has ever been arrested for littering, I feel like if you've ever been arrested for littering or given a yeah. felony, you were you were doing some pretty bad stuff yeah, you first, you know really littering <laughs> you You had already gotten the cops mad. And then you, I don't know, I don't want to get super inappropriate, but like you just took a poop on the ground or something yeah, while you're right. already in trouble. But
1: <laughs> I don't know. Natural defense. I, don't, I, get it. I don't know
0: how you get there, but th- there's probably a story out there. So let us know. Yeah. And uh, we, we will, with your permission, we will read it over the podcast and share it with the world. And we will give you sympathy because, you know, if if that's you got a felony do. for littering, uh, that's, that's just rough. That's, yeah. There's a segue here somewhere to Jurassic Park. There's a segue. Well, you know what else is rough? When you're just trying to go to the bathroom and you get eaten by a T-Rex, <laughs> that's rough. And that's something that happens in the Jurassic Park film, the 1993 Steven Spielberg film. But before it was ever a film, it was a book written by the late, great Michael Crichton, who is no longer with us. Uh, his life was was taken short because of uh, I believe cancer. Um, but he died, he died at a younger age in his late fifties. Uh, but he made some of the, some of, some of the very iconic like techno thriller slash sci-fi horror type of stuff that we had that became some, some good movies. You had Congo, you had Jurassic park and, um, I'm trying to remember his other big one starts with an A. Um, I don't know. It'll don't know. come to me. It'll come to me. But uh, today we are talking about Jurassic Park. We're talking about our experiences with it, and we will be talking about the film as well as the book because I've read the book and watched the film. Zach, have you ever read the book?
1: I have not. I. Tried it when I was younger after I learned there was a book, and it was a l- it was completely. Di- Absolutely, we'll talk about it's it completely different tone in yeah. the movie. It's a little more science heavy, so yeah. And it's definitely a book for, for to use it. there weren't. It yeah. was
0: written for adults. Like it was definitely yeah. written for adults. If if you were reading this at a younger yes. age, I would say even as a teenager, it's not gonna it's not gonna really interest you, especially in the beginning. It's a it's a slower start to the book for sure. But, uh, yeah, but I'll go over some history here. I don't know if you have anything for our history section. We, uh, we like to give a little history of the work and we've got just a couple of interesting factoids. And Zach, if you want to add anything to this, just feel free to interject. Uh, Jurassic park was a book written by Michael Crichton. It was released in 1990. And some of the rumors that surround Jurassic park is that this, Idea. I don't know if the publisher reached out to film studios or what happened, but there is rumors that a deal was done, signed, and ready to be put into film before Jurassic Park ever hit store shelves. That this was a book where the idea was was taken and it was like, this is going to need to be made into a movie. It ended up in Spielberg's hands and the film did very, very well. The book was yeah. successful, but the movie was a box office and critical hit. I believe the movie was in theaters for over a year and living it was in 2000 the top grossing I think it was before Titanic it was the number one grossing film of all time. That makes sense. that makes sense. It, it was so iconic and even to this day, you watch Jurassic Park and it doesn't feel. Like a almost thirty year old movie. Oh, it has aged so well. It's aged very well. Don't get me wrong. You can tell that some of the stuff has been has dated uh, to this point, but it was it's dated very very well. It's very high quality. There's there's some stuff that has come out after it that doesn't look nearly as good. So Jurassic Park, box office success, critical success, and It was so successful at the box office that Michael Crichton felt compelled to write a sequel. I don't know if this was at the pressing of his publisher or his agent or his own personal desire. And an interesting fact is that the movies decided to change how the characters are. And we'll get more into this in in our more in-depth section later. The movie changed a lot of how the characters are behaviorally and their survival. So, for those of you who uh, have seen Jurassic Park, you know that Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, one of the greatest actors of all time, and <laughs> he he w- he's a really likable character in the movie, right? He just he delivers really well. Ian Malcolm is just so well played by Jeff Goldblum, and he gives us the classic laugh. You know the laugh. You know the laugh, Zach. the the little growl (laughs) that so if if you guys ever want an entertaining thing you can actually listen to jeff goldblum do that laugh for 10 hours on youtube there is a video there used to be a website
1: dedicated to that laugh (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's so great i really want to know
1: what like his process like his thought process was like, uh is this is that his real laugh? Like did he really go for it there, or is he just like, I'm just gonna make this weird. I'm I don't go. know,
0: but it was it was amazing. It's fantastic. It There's like, like the dubstep remixes to sentence, it and everything. It's like the
1: equivalent of a sentence where you start it and you don't know where it's going, you just find it along the way. It was like
0: that in laugh form. Like right. figuring it out as he was going. <laughs> it's just like hey, just, they're just behind the scenes. Just keep laughing, Jeff. Just keep laugh. Keep going. Just going. it's so fun to do. But uh, he was such a well liked character that in the books, when you read them, it's pretty well said that Ian Malcolm didn't make it. He didn't make it because it said he succumbed to his wounds in the book. Those words are in the book, and then. At the end of Jurassic Park, the novel, the Costa Rican government comes in and napalm bombs Isla Nublar. Like they lit the whole island on fire. So I haven't read the Lost World book, but I might have to pick it up just to find out how in the world did Ian Malcolm passed out from injuries? How how did he get off the island in the midst of it being lit on fire? And so so I'll have to I'll have to figure that out. But yeah. Uh, fan speculation. Speculation is Crichton brought him back just because Ian Malcolm was so well liked in the movies. Uh, another thing is uh, how different characters were portrayed is John Malcolm. Uh, he dies in Jurassic Park as well. He doesn't make it and he's a lot more villainous. We'll get to that later on. And so there's a little bit of differences between the book in the movie. But something that I will say as we're kind of in our history segment here is that the film adaptation of Jurassic Park just works so well. The changes that they made were very appropriate for film. If you would have done it exactly like the book, you would have had this really like dark, depressing, sad film of dinosaurs just killing a bunch of people and then dinosaurs all lit on fire at the end doesn't necessarily make for sequel opportunity and so it just made a lot of sense the changes that they made but that's a little brief history on Jurassic Park Zach why don't you tell me your initial impressions of Jurassic Park what it was like watching it as a kid if you can remember your first time watching it what was it like
1: I remember and I'll start off by saying I experienced Jurassic Park shortly after coming off a a very heavy kick of lamb before time so okay much I, different tone yes yeah, so <laughs> as you can imagine um, I had one idea of how dinosaurs should act and look um, what they should eat they they should consume giant delicious tree stars and They should be so good that you want to eat one as well. And so we I don't remember exactly where I was when I first saw the movie. Like, I don't know if I was at my house or my grandparents house or something, but I remember watching that opening scene. And when the velociraptor (laughs) is being like corralled into that crate and that dude gets eaten, Mm -hmm. I I thought we were watching a horror movie at that point. I did not. I yeah. think it was the action sci-fi movie that would eventually have kids in it. Um, <laughs> I thought, I was like, this is an adult movie. This is very much an adult movie. Um, they are not eating tree stars. They're eating humans. And I, I remember not really wanting to go on with the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very glad that I did because I had at the time no other choice but to sit there and watch it. <laughs> but it, it definitely, it scared me so badly when I first watched the movie that um, it's, it's funny to now know what Jurassic Park is, and as I got older, I understood more clearly like the plot lines going on, but when I was, I don't know, 10, maybe even younger, I don't remember when I actually saw it, but I was young enough to not really comprehend the story per se but I just kind of experienced it visually and just emotionally. Um But it was ended up being a great movie. I ended up loving the movie a lot. Um the T Rex, after getting over my I don't know, I think the movie really made me afraid of Velociraptors. I think that was kind of the point, but it yeah. really like the t-rex was just cool it was awesome and it was just so powerful and i wasn't ever really afraid of it but anytime even after seeing the first jurassic park and going on and seeing some of the other ones i still get an unsettling feeling when i see velociraptors in them because they're just Mm -hmm. they're too cunning and they're too like almost human-like in some ways where how smart they are and it unsettled me as a child and so I I did not like velociraptors. I wanted to go back to land before time where everything was colorful and nice, but um yeah, that was my my first initial impression of it was I thought we were watching a horror movie.
0: Yeah. And I love the 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 way that they reveal to you velociraptors in Jurassic Park is so good cuz you just get little clips of what they <laughs> might look like. And you always see their destruction from from the beginning, and then them breaking out of the pen, and then when the first time you really see a full blown Velociraptor is when um, Muldoon is attacked in the yeah. in the forest while while he and uh, Adler are trying to get to the the power station, and, and it's That's just it's so yeah. well done. Spielberg is great at that when it comes to. Monster oh, yeah. reveals and suspense from not showing you certain things. It's yeah, he is a master so of
1: sh- like showing you the monster without showing you it. Like just oh yeah, your imagination starts running wild with what this is going to look like. And I do recall Spielberg wanted to make basically he wanted to make a Jaws on land kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he really shines through with like the Velociraptor and even the T-Rex, how like the first T-Rex scene, you don't, you don't actually get to see it because it doesn't come and eat like the food. So that just mm-hmm. keeps building and building and building. And it's kind of like Jaws where you just kind of, you hear the music and you see just like the fin and you don't really actually see it until much later in the movie. Um, but also speaking on Spielberg, he wanted at the time, I remember this from just some of the research. Was he wanted to make? He wanted to go on and film Schindler's List. That's what he was actually wanting to film at the time. He was just coming off filming another movie, but he's talk. He was talking with Crichton at a dinner, and they were talking about something completely different. But Crichton brought up like that idea for like the book that he had, and Spielberg loved it. And so that's I think when like the whole movie before the book came into play there is because he heard about it. And so he signed a deal basically saying that, um, or the studio signed a deal with uh, Spielberg saying, you have to film Jurassic Park if you want to go film Schindler's List. So he's like, okay, fine. Okay. So, which I'm glad he did because he brought that that Spielberg charm.
0: Oh, yeah. It was done so well. And you can tell... You can tell that the films that followed were not directed by him. I believe the first one is the only one he directed. I don't think he directed Lost World. I, I know for sure Jurassic Park 3. I think he was only like an executive producer or or something yeah. on it. But but it, it was just it was so good and for me I actually don't remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park. It was just such a staple in our household because my dad really liked the movie. My dad's a pretty big Spielberg fan. He really likes uh, Jaws. My dad really likes Jurassic Park. He really likes a lot of the the monster movie type of stuff. So Jurassic Park kind of falls like right in his wheelhouse. And I remember he just loved it. And I'm always told the story that my parents went to go see Jurassic Park with the whole entire family at the drive-in and I was two at the time and I slept in my car seat in the back. Like I was just out, you know, while they're watching this terrifying uh, dinosaur film in the, in the (laughs) drive-through. So there's a little throwback to early nineties culture for you. Uh, Well, we might be getting back to that soon. Drive-ins might be opening back up here in, (laughs) in a few, in a few weeks. Who knows? Uh, There could be some good business for them right (laughs) but that that's supposedly the first time I ever had any exposure but I just remember growing up as a kid Jurassic Park toys were just always available I remember I had a friend down the street who had like the whole entire set he had the trucks and the dinosaurs and the the people who went with it and and it was really cool. We'd just go over there and play Jurassic Park toys and come up with all of our own stories. And of course, the people always all all died uh, because yeah, that was course, just yeah. more fun. But it was such a such a visual treat that mm. it was there was something that as a kid you didn't know that that's probably not exactly what the dinosaurs looked like. But <laughs> yeah. but but it didn't matter. It was like what you saw in Jurassic Park, that was reality from millions of years ago, brought into the present day, and that's what dinosaurs were. And you just built your whole understanding of dinosaurs based on Jurassic Park, which for better, for worse, uh, I yeah. yeah, you know,
1: not oh, necessarily
0: yeah. the most scientifically accurate, but maybe a little more interesting, especially Velociraptor.
1: certainly shaped the culture of how dinosaurs are still perceived to this day. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, I, I, from what even the book Jurassic Park portrays is that to be a paleontologist is not a wealthy man's game, you know? If you're a paleontologist, you're, you're a highly educated, very smart person, always struggling for funding. <laughs> and, and, and then you have Jurassic Park come through and make dinosaurs really, really, really cool. I, I didn't do any research on it, but I'm, I'm really curious what Jurassic Park did for paleontology yeah. in general if it had an impact. I'm sure it, it had a little make bit of impact. Look like it was a sweet job. Oh but yeah. But I know a lot of it
1: is spent coming up empty-handed or like I mean the 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 excavation at the very beginning of when they're uncovering like the velociraptor. I I was watching some videos on um it was like the 10 misconceptions that Jurassic Park has made and <laughs> one of them was this is not how Excavation actually works, where there's just like right. fifty people standing around brushing off like bones,
0: <laughs> and you are never going to find a full blown dinosaur complete yeah. skeleton in one spot. You know these dinosaurs, depending on how they went, especially if they died via meteor crashing into the world. Yeah, we're lucky to get bone fragments. You know, you know what I'm exactly. saying.
1: Exactly. I think like we found. I don't even know, like very small percentage of actual structurally sound dinosaurs.
0: Yeah, and then we kind of go off of that. But I could, I could be wrong. But when I was in Chicago, um, the Field Museum had a di- had a T Rex replica skeleton there named Sue. But I feel like. I remember reading while I was there that they had the largest single uh, dinosaur skull, which was actually the T. Rex skull in the oh, world. Cool. Uh, I I thought like the the most intact one or or something of that nature. I remember it was kind of like a big marketing thing for them. Uh, that's it, awesome. It something to do with one either one of the largest dinosaur bones or uh or the largest T. Rex skull. I can't remember. But that's in my memory somewhere. If, if you are someone in the Chicago area, if you know the Field Museum better than me, let me know. Get back to us. I'd love to know if I was right or wrong on that. I don't really feel like Googling it right now, but I'm interested to know that. Yeah. Back to so Jurassic I Park,
1: though. Yeah, you have the coolest one.
0: Well, yeah. that or a
1: velociraptor. As I got older, I started being okay with them, but I still think the T-Rex is definitely the coolest
0: it's the face of the franchise. It is for sure the face of the franchise. Um, but the we'll get we'll get a little back to the movie here. And so my initial impressions were I loved this movie as a kid, but it terrified me. The The movie <laughs> absol- absolutely terrified me, but nothing kept me from watching it. It gave me nightmares. It scared me. And I didn't care. I still loved it. So, yeah. <laughs> Zach, <the> you, <laughs> you bid to the house I grew up going to. And do you remember how there were those woods in the back? Yeah. Yeah. So I used to have this recurring dream where there were dinosaurs in those woods in the back. And the way that it always panned out was that I'd be running to my house in the woods to get to my house. I'd get inside. I'd escape the velociraptors. And for some reason or another, I thought the safest thing to do was to go in my bed and to go back to sleep. I, yeah, I, that was just what happened in the dream, right? But then I would wake up, but I was still dreaming, okay? Dream within a dream, right? A little inception action. I'd wake up not knowing I was still dreaming, right? And I'd go downstairs and I'd get a drink of water, right? Because I, I felt so terrified from the dream I just had. I get a drink of water and I'd go and open the cabinet to get a snack. Every time I open the cabinet, Velociraptor jumps out and yeah. kills me. Then I actually wake up and it's like, oh man. Oh. And that recurring dream followed me like well into my teens. I don't oh, know geez. why. I could never get it out of my head. Oh. Psychological stress there. <laughs> but but I still love Jurassic <laughs> Park. It's, it's a great great movie great franchise um and i think part of why i always liked it so much is because i knew my dad really liked it my dad wasn't a huge reader but he actually like went out and read the jurassic park book and would would go through and tell me all the differences between the book and the movie and he he liked it so much he read the book and so i think that's a big reason why why i i just always really liked it and my dad really liked it so i felt like i should really like it I yeah. feel the same way about King Kong. You ever seen King Kong, the uh, the classic King Kong, like 1933? Oh, you ever seen that? Yeah. I have it's not like,
1: seen that one. I've only okay. seen the one with Jack Black in it.
0: Okay, okay. But that's a classic movie that yeah. we'll have to get... might have to have, like, a round table with the, the Haggard family over King Kong and how Ooh. iconic it was. Uh, s- supposedly, this is this is BC, before Cody. <laughs> but supposedly, <laughs> like... Whenever King Kong was on TV, this was before we had it on VHS because it wasn't released on VHS for a long, long time. Um, before we had it on VHS, like it was an event. My dad would find out when King Kong was on the TV and he'd like sit and watch it every time. <laughs> oh, man. Good times, good times. But even so though it terrified me, now, always watch it. Did anyone
1: else in your family, like your brothers, watch this and love it as much? Or is it kind of. It's just you and your dad.
0: Jurassic Park, I think, is pretty well liked in, with in, for everyone movie. in my in my family. Even it, you know, I don't know if my mom was really into it. I don't know if Jurassic Park was up her alley, but but yeah, we all liked it, and it's a good movie. And like you mentioned, the fact that kids were in it, I think, makes it a little scarier, right? Mm-hmm. Because because then it starts making you think as a kid, like, what if I go on vacation one time? Yeah, and my vacation just goes really bad. Yeah, you know.
1: Uh, and the but, uh the cars that that was another thing that scared me with the movie was that they're iconic vehicles that they get to ride around in. But I yeah. hated that they were on a track, and it was like, oh even yeah, if you wanted to run away, you couldn't because it was all like you couldn't drive it away. You just it was all on a track. It just yeah. I I didn't like that either. I and. At the end of the day, I still love the movie and still think it's one of the best of all time, but I just, as we're recalling it, I keep thinking about how much I didn't like certain parts of the movie because it scared oh, yeah. me.
0: And you know that when Crichton wrote the book, that was all part of the plan. Electrical cars, because you're going to have an electrical breakdown, and the whole gas Jeep thing, and... um the one guy taking the gas Jeep and just di- disappearing for forever. They don't know where it is. They don't know where he is. And so that's a, that's a big plot device. And so as soon as you see the storm start coming in and you're like, Oh man, these cars are on an electrical track. It's like, uh Oh, <laughs> this is not good.
1: But that the book. Is the book more of a thriller? Is it more of a sci-fi? Like what is the, I know it's darker, but what's the style of the book? For the book
0: not- is definitely a lot more like a horror novel, Ooh. and and so the book plays out a lot more like horror. And I would actually, I would even suggest, I know that there's people who have like recordings of it on YouTube. You could even go and listen to like certain chapters on YouTube. Like if you go and listen to the chapter called T Rex, it's the scene from the book when you first meet the t-rex and he comes out and destroys the cars and so something i'll say about the books is that it's the book is way more violent way more gory and definitely could have been a rated r movie and i think that for jurassic park it's a good thing they didn't go that direction um you know staying the pg-13 more family friendly route was a good way to go um but yes was. but the film is actually i mean the book is actually quite quite violent and quite terrifying uh and so especially like the the way that the t-rex pans out uh there's the the car scene yes but there's also another scene that's omitted from the film where the the three are trying to escape dr grant and the kids and so they their only way to get the fastest way to get down the, this river is they actually take a raft and they go into the river. And they're going down this raft into the river, and something they don't tell you in the Jurassic Park movie is that T-Rexes can actually swim quite fast. When you think about it, they're a giant reptile and kind of like this yeah. giant alligator going into the water. So T-Rex finds them, starts going down the river with them. And the the T-Rex is just picking up, picking up, picking up. And then the T-Rex goes underwater, and they can't see it. And you just have this moment of suspense. And the T-Rex comes up out of the water and kind of miss shot right under the raft and kind of makes them fly into the air. And it's kind of like this really scary moment where it's like, oh, man, that that should have been their death. Uh, And then the raft ends up getting stuck later, and... So yeah, it's it's really Dude, suspenseful. Awesome. Uh, Terrifying.
1: The, awesome.
0: Oh yeah, there's this really well done, slow runaway from the T-Rex in the books that works really well for the book. It would just take too long in the movie. Yeah. And I, I think it would take too long to get to the suspense of the Velociraptors, which is... Kind of this, the book kind of progresses in such a way of you have the chase from the T Rex and then surviving the Velociraptors. So it's kind of how how it pans out in the end. And yeah, man, it's such a such a good such a good read. Uh, and, but you kind of really have to like science uh, a little bit. You have to be That's interested in the science of science. it. Yeah. And a lot of it's not real science either. That's something you kind of right. have to know going in. A lot of it is pseudoscience and Michael Crichton is just a great writer and he's a really smart guy that he's able to make a lot of this stuff sound believable as you're reading it. And then you come to find out, it's like, Oh, this is actually not real science. <laughs> but
1: Okay. That makes sense though. I mean, he, I, I think a lot of people viewed him as like a science expert and he was just an author, like he was just a storyteller. Yeah,
0: yeah and-, and he was definitely like a really smart guy. I think he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he studied medicine, if oh. my memory serves me correct. I can't remember if he studied medicine or if he studied biology, but like he's a highly educated guy. I think he's got his PhD. You know, so he's he's no oh. slouch. You know, he's um, definitely is, a smart dude. Slouch. He's no slouch. Yeah. Wow. Well. Uh, But I kind of want to talk a a little bit about some of the lasting impressions we've had of Jurassic Park. And we kind of alluded to it at the beginning. One of the most quotable lines in the whole entire movie is what? God bless you. God bless you. So 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 for for those who don't remember, the... The Brachiosaurus comes up out of, the, you know, into the trees while Alan Grant and uh, Lex and Timmy are in the trees, and they are greeted by a Brachiosaurus, and Tim tells Lex it's okay, so it's Saurus. Lex, Saurus. And, and then before the Brachiosaurus goes away, it sneezes on them and gets all this nasty snot over them, and then Tim just so yells great. as it's running away.
1: God bless you.
0: It's just, it's really funny. So when I was in college, we would watch Jurassic Park probably like once a year. And every time we watched the movie, it reminded us that every time somebody would sneeze, the only proper way to say bless you would be to say like, Tim,
1: God bless exactly. you.
0: So, so that's, that's one of the most quotable lines to me. Oh, please.
1: Oh, dude, and also watching that because I was fortunate enough that when I came to visit you at college that we got to watch Jurassic Park and the running commentary from your friends Oh you yeah made,
0: yeah you were there when we watched it. That's it amazing. Was more
1: enjoyable, just because like there's some cheesy parts and there's some funny parts and just the running commentary of everybody just throwing in like whatever they were thinking of for different parts and like (laughs) how the different animals might think about things. And it was just, I was rolling. My gut was hurting. It was just, Uh, it made the experience of watching Jurassic Park even better. Just having so many fans of it around that they knew the movie well enough that they can make fun of it. That's like, I think the highest honor I think you could give a classic movie is you know it so well that you are going to like make fun of it because it's, it's just that much of a staple in your life.
0: Oh yeah. It's uh it that was one of the best movies to watch. Another really <laughs> good one to watch with the group was Nacho Libre because oh, we knew that movie back and forth, so it was it was just hilarious. Um uh, but but it just totally de- redefines an experience. If you watch Nacho Libre in a vacuum by yourself, you may <laughs> think you may think it's really funny, but there's a good chance you'll walk away saying this is the dumbest movie. I've ever watched, why would anyone recommend this to me? You know (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But it's so good. Ah so But for me, man, I
1: for the lasting impressions that I had from this movie, first of all, Samuel L. Jackson, hold on to your butts. I still use that line. (laughs) Hold on to your butts. (laughs) Still use that line today at work or before anything big's about to happen. I'll I'll give Samuel L. Jackson his due and let people know that their, their butts need to be held on to um, great line. But, um, a thing that I, that kind of struck me later as I got older. So Wayne Knight, he's the guy that plays, uh, what Nedry Dennis Nedry, I think is his name. Nedry, yeah. Basically a lot of people knew him at the time as Newman from, I think Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, so I never understood why he was in the movie when I was a kid because I just I don't know why I couldn't wrap my head around what he was doing and why he was like the perceived bad guy. Yeah. Um and until older I got I realized that he was stealing eggs for a competing company and I just remember that the what was it the Dillo Oh, I wrote it down here. Dillo. Dilophosaurus. Yeah. Dilophosaurus. So I hated that thing so much when I was a kid. And I probably still, at some level, am afraid of that because I hated the the rattlesnake sound that it would make and like the little flaps would fly out oh, and then yeah. it would shoot you in the face with like tar.
0: Oh, and
1: yeah. I hated that thing. But I remember when he got. Um, Nedry in the car and like basically stopped him from getting away I for to this day that scene still sticks out in my head because I was like okay both of these things are bad to me like he's a bad guy because he's doing something bad and then this dinosaur is bad because it just looks like it's bad but now the dinosaur is technically a good guy because he stopped the bad guy Ah, and so yeah. yeah so from that day on I was like all right I'll I'll won't judge an ugly book by its ugly cover, but I still don't, <laughs> still don't really trust these things. But for some oh, reason, yeah. that scene put out in my head, like the rain coming down, and he's like stumbling around and
0: fetch the gets- stick, stupid stick, stick. <laughs> yeah, here's the stick, stupid. <laughs> Such
1: great lines, man! Great, great stuff. And then, uh, obviously, Jeff Goldblum saying, "Life finds a way." And that oh, yeah. is another classic line that is that is stuck with me um but one of my favorite scenes probably my favorite scene from the entire movie was when the t-rex eats that guy on the port john and <laughs> it's so like a mixture of horror and terror and humor that it's hard not to kind of chuckle that this dude's got his pants down <laughs> just sitting there and <laughs> This giant T. Rex eats up. It's it's a great scene, and it is like even from the first time I saw it, it was the, I was like this is this is the, my favorite. This is awesome. Um, but yeah, that's that was a a classic scene, and then actually Jurassic Park, not the the first movie, but the series followed me to Korea because that's when. Jurassic World came out and when I was Mm -hmm. English in Korea they every now and then every now and then they would come out with a movie in English at one of the theaters in the one of the big cities and so I happened to be in the city at the time that Jurassic World just came out and me and a buddy went and saw it and I, I I liked it but I liked it because it was Jurassic park. And I was remembering the first movie the whole time yeah. I was watching it I actually yeah. didn't end up like watching. I think it was Jurassic world. I didn't actually end up like that movie at all. And I think it's because you could tell, like you said earlier that it wasn't a Steven Spielberg movie. It, yeah. it kind of lost that charm that Spielberg somehow always manages to bring to his movies. Um, it just like the whole time you're kind of wanting the first Jurassic park again, because I just, I I didn't buy the, uh, now the, the velociraptors are kind of like dogs and they can be trained. It was kind of weird because they were just kind of these ruthless, cunning killers in the first one. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden they can kind of just be trained. Um, so I didn't, but all that to say, even that many years later you st- I still had that like nostalgia like wave hit me when I sat down and watched it, and you you hear the the iconic music that John Williams made for the oh, first oh so one. good and, oh it is man and so i i I just remember sitting there watching the movie and being like, "Oh man, I need to go see the first one <laughs> I'm just oh, yeah. watching the first one I kind of want to stop watching this and go see." <laughs> the first Jurassic Park again um yeah but yeah it's it's definitely i think the movies in the equivalent of the smithsonian museum for film like it was like a, a national treasure or something i forget the actual title or organization that does it so listeners if if you're hearing this please send us a a line and let me know what I'm actually trying to say, but it's like an organization <laughs> that they, it's like the, the all time best movies go into it. It's like the museum of best movies or something, but okay. it's in there for, um, because it was like a technical like revolution. Like they, cause they oh, used yeah. actual animatronics in the movie because they didn't want to try and mess around with like digital stuff. And so, I think the T-Rex is the largest digital or largest animatronic ever made. Like it's just, it's this massive feat that they had to get into the, the movie and all the, all the um, dinosaurs in it were, were real, like real in the sense of they could actually be touched and they were filmed.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the greatest things. And I actually think the technological limitations helped it be a better movie in having to play into the horror fact and factor in not showing you everything. Because, y- you know, if, if you look on some stuff about how they made this movie, that T-Rex, when they were trying to do that T-Rex scene, it kept breaking down because they were like, <laughs> yeah, electronic, animatronic, dinosaur, rain scene. Recipe for disaster, right? So so it kept breaking down, wasn't working the way it was supposed to. And, and you guys should check out some pictures of, of what this thing looked like. It's basically exactly what you see in the movie, except it doesn't have its legs. So the, <laughs> the things that they animated in were its legs and its feet. And it's really neat. But I think that the technological limitations are also kind of played into making it a, a better movie and yeah. kind of hitting on Jurassic World really quick. Now I did like Jurassic World. I like I like all all the Jurassic Park movies in in their own way, right? They're they're fun except for 3. I could live without Jurassic Park 3. That movie could have never been made and I would be fine. And yeah. so I remember seeing Jurassic World. I took my dad to see it on Father's Day when it came Came out. I took my dad on Father's Day, so it was kind of this iconic moment coming full circle, right? Where it's kind of a movie I grew up loving, my dad really likes, and kind of got to go back to the movies as you know. I was an adult at the time. I at the time I am an adult now, <laughs> but what but gr- silly. growing up and then taking your dad to 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 a movie was cool. I really I really enjoyed that. But I I do think that. Modern technology and the use of CGI, and maybe it's because we've seen so much CGI, it doesn't feel as as scary. Like Jurassic World never felt scary or tense to me. And I think that's what makes Jurassic Park so good. And and none of the other movies did it quite as well, right? The whole, like, this is kind of scary. They tried doing that with um, the newest one, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but it still didn't quite deliver as well in in my opinion, and that could also be because I'm not six years old anymore, yeah and right. and uh you know I, I went through this phase where I got like Jurassic Park obsessed, and so I did a bunch of research, I watched all the movies, I read the book, and i I actually ended up getting a computer game where you make your own Jurassic Park. Uh, It's called Jurassic World Evolution, and they have, like, this mode where you rebuild the original Jurassic Park, and I got real into that. So I got really into Jurassic Park there for a while, so I was super excited to talk about this. Do you have any interest in talking about a couple differences I wanted to point out between the book and the movie, like, real quick?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Lay it on me, man.
0: All right, so most of us are going to be familiar with the movie Jurassic Park, and Zach, I'd love to hear your commentary on some of this stuff. First thing I want to point out is that in the Jurassic Park book, it is obvious and evident that John Hammond is a villain, and he just wants to make a lot of money. Like, in the film, they make it look like he cares about these animals, cares about these dinosaurs, which... When you read the book he cares about their well-being mainly because he just wants to turn a profit. Like that is that is what is most important to John Hammond. And in the end he actually he dies. He doesn't get off of the island. I feel like in the movie they made him a lot more likable, made him a lot a lot more sympathetic. You kind of felt for him at the end as he's watching his whole park get destroyed. But in the book they kill him off and he has a very uh, kind of brutal death. Uh, You know, the little dinosaurs that they introduced in the second movie, the compies, the little tiny guys. So so those are present in the book and they are not extremely dangerous, but the problem is, is that when they bite you, they cause you to numb up. They kind of cause you to get tingly and numb you up. And so that's what makes them dangerous. And John Hammond is trying to run away from the T-Rex sound because he thought he heard the T-Rex. And what was actually happening is behind the scenes, his niece and nephew were in the sound room trying to like work out the electronics and they were hitting a button and it played the T-Rex roar over the loudspeakers. So he didn't even hear the real T-Rex. He heard the T-Rex over the loudspeaker. So he starts running and he falls down a hill And he ends up breaking his ankle, rolling down the hill, and he can't move. And so he's, like, debilitated, trying to crawl up this hill, and he he keeps hearing things. And so then it just talks about how he felt a bite on his leg, and then his whole body starts to go numb. And then the last thing you see of John Hammond is is the book describes a bunch of compies crawling all over him. And that's how he dies. (laughs) That's how he dies. Um, so so it's kind of this in in, the reason why i point that out is because jurassic park is a story about the dangers of trying to manipulate god manipulate nature for your own gain what's probably going to happen is it's going to end up with your own demise because nature god however you want to look at it that plan is going to to push forward. It's going to find a way, right? Like Ian Malcolm warns. It'll find a way. You trying to put these animals in cages, these deadly beasts in in cages, it's going to end up with your destruction. And so, so I find that John Hammond's death actually in the books very strongly relates to the theme, the theme of the story, right? John Hammond almost has to die to... Yeah to really have the the theme break through. And the people who live are, are, you know, Dr. Alan Grant, Dr. Sadler, the kids, are the ones who really loved the animals and wanted to preserve it and treat it right and research it and go about it in the right ways. Whereas the, all the people who died were the people who wanted to make it into experiments, put the animals in cages. There's a lot of relation there. Um, whereas the movie's kind of more of just like a horror, like get out survive type of thing yeah um the book kind of explores a lot more of survive yes but also all of the people who deserve their comeuppance get their get their due and Mm -hmm. uh so so i find that that is that's kind of interesting and then another um difference i wanted to just point out real quick that i have uh in my notes is that in the in the book the the uh the the book moves very very quickly i mean the the movie moves very quickly through a lot of things and so one thing that you don't really get to know much about is actually where all of the creation and desire for all the making of dinosaurs came from and the doctor who uh basically ends up becoming the villains in the Jurassic World movies his name is doctor wu i think And he he actually is just this genetic engineering genius, just an absolute genius. And John Hammond found him, liked him while he was a student and basically said, instead of trying to raise funds for your whole entire life, you come work for me. I'll let you do whatever you want and I'll give you as much money as you want. So. Dr. Wu was just this guy who wanted to learn how to create life. So he was constantly experimenting with a bunch of different ways to make sustainable artificial life. Cause that's virtually what the dinosaurs are. It's artificial life. It's not real life. These are not real dinosaurs. They are genetically engineered kind of Frankenstein dinosaurs in a way, you know, cause they use frog DNA and all these other things. Um, and so what's kind of kind of interesting you kind of sympathize with Dr. Wu throughout the story and you're like man this is just a guy trying to be a scientist trying to do his thing and he's kind of doing it because he's given a blank check and he's he's caught in between wanting to be a good scientist and make this really financially profitable park and you you don't really see it coming but he like comes running out of a building uh in like a velociraptor pounces on him from the rooftop and, and, oh, and disembowels him. And that's how Dr. Wu makes his it's end. So he, he actually would not have made it into Jurassic World uh if they followed the books more closely. But
1: do all the quote unquote bad guys die and all the quote unquote good guys live, save no. for character.
0: No, yeah. Ian Malcolm definitely dies in the books, but I guess that was retroactively changed. Um but those. yeah yeah pretty much the and actually the guy the lawyer uh from the movie is a blend of two different characters so the lawyer from the movie uh actually and uh, the lawyer from the book actually ends up surviving but in the movie the guy who dies on the port yeah. that doesn't happen in the books uh the guy who actually ends up dying is the person who's supposed to be like the kids tour guide right like his whole job is to watch the kids like he works for John Hammond as like a park. I don't know if he's a director or whatever, but his whole assignment while the kids were there was that he was supposed to protect the kids and he still ends up running away from the kids. And he, he definitely, he definitely dies. Um, I can't, do that. I can't remember if, because I don't remember if he died. Oh yeah. He got killed by the baby T-Rex. The, there is a, there is a baby oh. T-Rex in, uh, the book. Yeah. I forgot about that. So they're outrunning two T-Rexes. I forgot about that. Uh but yeah, what do you think about some of those changes? What do you think about the John Hammond changes? So
1: I am not surprised. Like even in the movie John Hammond like when I was younger, he didn't seem like the good guy. Like right, Dr. Right. What is the Alan Grant, he's the main guy and yeah, the girl. They always seemed like that like they were supposed to be the good guys and hammond i just i i gathered he was trying to do the right thing but it was hard to really see him as a noble character when he was kind of exploiting these dinosaurs for money um but i think i i could see that i could i can see why they would have changed it because I mean, they're trying to make it maybe not so much rated R, maybe not so much dark. So they kind of threw a lot of is Newman. I ke- I call his character Newman. I can't always forget. His yeah. Name. Dennis Nedry. Is he in the book?
0: Yeah, he is. And, uh, I was actually going to mention that when you were done, cause you mentioned him some, some things that, and it makes a lot of sense. I, his character didn't make a whole lot of sense to me as a kid either. Um, but he is always pressing Hammond for more money. And he is like the world's leading computer systems intelligence guy. Like he's the best at what he does. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and so he's getting annoyed because he has been under this contract and there continues to be bugs in this system. So he has to keep uh. coming down to Costa Rica and fixing things because it's part of his contract. Meanwhile, he has uh, just a buttload of gambling debt. So he's got Mm. a buttload of gambling debt and he just wants a bunch of money. And so I can't remember the name of the other genetic engineering company at the time. But anyway, they offer him a very lucrative deal to get those embryos, which is is very much like the scene from the beginning of the movie is is. The deal, right? You get us the embryos, gives you fifty thousand dollars per embryo, and a bonus for all of those that are viable, or whatever it was. Yeah. And so this is his way to get out of gambling debt, and w- which is why the line in the movie where Hammond is like, Nedry, I don't blame people for their financial problems, but I, you know, don't expect me to fix them, right? I, mm-hmm. I don't hold it against you. No, he says, I don't hold your financial problems against you. Just don't blame me for them. And so that line is actually really powerful when you understand the the backstory from the books. So I don't know if they just weren't thinking to develop that out. Just a, a couple more lines would have helped. But but yeah. To... And then Nedri also up? he gets disemboweled as well. Um, <laughs> a lot of disemboweling. There's, there's tons of disemboweling because supposedly the book wanted you to believe that dinosaurs kind of like to eat, you know, warm flesh. So it makes yeah. sense, right? They disembowel you and they they start eating you. They don't care if you're dead or not. <laughs> okay. They just disembowel yeah. and chew away.
1: But yeah, Nedry was the clear bad guy to me. Growing up, Hammond was more of a gray character. Yeah, he wasn't necessarily good or bad. He just seems kind of in the middle. Um, although at the end, when he Basically agrees that maybe opening the park wasn't a good idea. That kind of made him seem a little better. Right. Yeah. I just don't feel like his character ever got to like it wasn't a natural plot arc for him. Mr. He started. Hennett,
0: I have decided not to endorse your park. Yeah. <laughs> Neither <laughs> do I. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> That's his line of redemption. Yeah. So, I he just never really,
1: and not that all characters need to have plot arcs in that sense, but he seemed a pretty central character to the, the movie at least. And he just, he started with a park and then ended with nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Might've been the theme, like you were saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's definitely a lot of anti-corporate type of ideas in the, in the yeah. book as well. Um. You know, the divide between, between researchers and business people, and how they kind of they kind of need each other, but they have totally opposing goals. Um, but yeah, and I would recommend if you get a chance. I, I I'll I'll try and figure out who the uh, guy I listened to was the the reader, but I listened to it on audiobook, and the guy just delivered a great performance. It was just fantastic. Make me want to um, read it. I definitely want. I definitely want to read it. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a good. It'd be a good like audio book if you like doing audiobooks while you work out or something. Just to kind of take it in pieces. Yeah, it's kind of how I did it. Did it on audio book. It was like, oh man, this is so. Because I've read it as well. I actually have the book. Uh, I've yeah, read it and I've listened to it. remember
1: seeing it, but I never. I don't know if he actually read it. He he goes through. He's kind of like me, where I'll buy a bunch of books and then never get around to reading all of them.
0: But oh yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, but anyway, dude, I that's about all I got to say on Jurassic Park. You want to move into our closing segment here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do this, man. So uh, let's just talk real quickly about something Something good. Something good you've read, you've watched, you've you've seen, you've heard of, game you're playing, yeah. whatever. Something good, man. Hit me with it. So I recently watched Us the other night, and...
1: Us is it's not a sequel to Get Out, but it's um, by the same director, writer um, Jordan Peele. Many of him, many people know him from the comedy sketch show Key and Peele, mm-hmm. um, but he is a brilliant thriller writer and director. And I'd say thriller because I think he is often miss construed as a horror director and writer but there's elements there's definitely heavy elements of horror in his movies but it's more of a a thriller and it's got a usual sci-fi tinge to it as well um but I saw us the other night and it was so good not as good as get out but it was so good it was incredible um, it's basically about a family who goes to the beach on vacation, and um, the mom has a uh, a disturbing incident that happened in her past at that beach that they're currently visiting, so she's kind of dealing with this psychological trauma while they're there, and the not, the first night that they're there, a family shows up outside their doors, and they quickly realize that all of the members of that family look exactly like them, but they all act a little different. So that's kind of the setup for the movie Um, where it goes from there. You're not going to predict because it is a Jordan Peele movie and it is very well done, very well written. Um, The reason why I like us a lot and get out, for that matter. Um, It's because it's a, it's a breath of fresh air when it comes to like unique story concepts. He's just very good at taking somewhat traditional stories um, and throwing a twist in them. Both the movies have big twists at the end or in the middle um, that you definitely don't see coming. And then the best part of his movies is after you finish them, going back and watching them again to piece everything together and see how it all kind of relates to each other and why certain yeah. characters acted or said a certain thing, knowing what happens at the end. So rewatch value is very high on the movies because you just want to go back and learn everything again and, and piece it all together. So highly recommend watching us. It's not very It's not gory at all. Actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a good thriller movie. Um, definitely for adults, 100% radar. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's mainly for language. And what I liked about it, too, is there's there's no nudity. There's no sex. or anything. It's just a good story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good characters. Very, nice. very three-dimensional characters. Where'd you watch it on? Um, I watched it at my house. Um, I think Leah. Did you rent it S- or rent is it on a streaming service? It? To be honest, I was out getting pizza at the time when this all happened. Okay. Okay. Another story for another day, but I accidentally went to
0: three different pizza shops that night. <laughs> but Dude, was... you and pizza, man. Like, what's, you got some bad luck with going to the right shops or calling know. the right well, shops? They could you come know, all together. You know? I, I had my one pizza moment where I spent 300 bucks, but you know, <laughs> now, now that I'm hearing about you running around the three uh, pizza uh, places, I'm starting to think you might be the problem here, Zach. Uh, well, while I was
1: on my pizza crusade, <laughs> they we, uh, ended up uh, renting it from somewhere. Okay. So I came back. We had some friends over at the time, too, and they were like, we're watching us tonight. I said, so, okay, sweet. Nice. Nice. But all right, great, cool. Pretty, highly How about cool. you, man? Me something good.
0: Well, over, over quarantine or stay-at-home order, whatever you want to call it, the Final Fantasy VII remake came out. We did an episode all dedicated to the original Final Fantasy VII, At some point, I want to talk about this more in depth. I don't know if we'll dedicate a whole episode to it or if maybe I'll do like a bonus episode or maybe I'll do a YouTube video. I'm going to do something where I talk about this game because I got a lot of feelings about it. Overall, Mm. the game was good. I thought it was well done. I enjoyed playing it. I I played it a lot and (laughs) I finished it. And uh, yeah, I've got some thoughts, but it's pretty good. If you're a, a lover of the original, I think you're going to like the remake I think you're going to maybe hate the ending, but that's that that's okay. I mean, there's a lot of things you can like 90% of and hate 10%. But uh, th- 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 it was a good experience. But something that sucked me in was the Waco TV series. Have you watched this yet mm-hmm. on Netflix? I've seen the trailers for it. So the, the character of David Koresh, has always highly intrigued me. Not because I myself am thinking about starting any cults, but because I always find it fascinating how individuals can, can just get other people to totally abandon logic, even when it comes to like faith, right? Like, Faith and religion, all your mainline religions and faith, they do expect you to have at least some degree of logic and reason. In in fact, Judaism and Christianity uh, are very much religions, faith practices that that have gotten stronger with reason and logic. But cult Mm. leaders, they just want you to follow them and and do what they say. They are the prophet. They're the one who God speaks to, even if it contradicts what God previously said, even if it contradicts morality, even if it contradicts all the things you could say, well, that just doesn't seem right, right? And, and that's what a cult leader is. But anyway, I, I found the, the TV series to be very intriguing because it kind of really shows how the ATF and the FBI really... kind of treated this whole situation like, hey, we just got to get something done. We've got to get something done. And it shows you the side of it. And and I'm the type of person, I take everything with a grain of salt. I understand that a TV series that kind of paints a negative portrayal of the FBI might not have all the facts, right? Um, (laughs) But at the same time, I mean, it is based on the memoirs of the guy who was the FBI negotiator for this thing? So so I would think there's a decent amount of honesty in there. But yeah. I, I I started watching the show and like I said, I was working nights and I started watching it at 10 30. And I was like, I'll just watch two episodes and go to bed. So I started watching at 10 30. I'd gotten home at 10 30, right? Was working till nine. Nine thirty, getting home around ten fifteen, settled in for bed, and once told my wife, like, Hey, I just want to watch a couple episodes of this. She was like, Okay. Fine, and so I turned it on, and I watched one, and I was like, ah, that's pretty good, let's watch another one, and then the second one came on, and I was like, ah, that one was actually a little bit better, let's watch one more, and the other one goes by, I'm like, all right, I'm sucked in now, it's just one one more, and then I have to go to bed, and then I watched, you know, the fourth one, and after that, it was like one in the morning, and I was like, "Gosh." You know what? You They're like 40, 45 minutes. Okay. And got through it, and I was like, there's only two more episodes. Let's just, <laughs> let's see how far I can go. So That's- I watched all six episodes straight from like oh, 1030 God. to 3 in the morning. It's pretty good. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, I, I didn't... To-
1: I, Never heard you do that before.
0: <laughs> I I know. I typically don't watch series, which is why I wanted to bring this up. Because you know, I was editing one of our old podcasts where I was kind of smashing on TV series and how I can't get into them. And then I got sucked into this. And I think the I reason did. why is is and we briefly hit on this in the past is the mini series lets you know from the get go. There's an end in mind. Like when you can see the end in mind, that's not that bad. It just just imagine going out and running, you know, we'll say a race and you got to run the 800 meter. You know that after two laps, you're done. It's a long race, but you know, after that second lap, you're done. You, you go sit down. But if someone says, Hey, I want you to race. And it's like, okay, when am I racing? Just start running. I'll tell you when you're done. Mm-hmm. And that is not appealing, right? Like <laughs> that race not, is not appealing.
1: Yeah. Like our something. <laughs>
0: And I think that sometimes with storytelling, it can be nice to know when the end is coming. That's also a big reason why I enjoy reading a physical copy of a book is I know how close I'm getting to the end. And maybe that's not a great thing. Maybe you should be left in suspense. But I kind of like to know when I'm getting close to when maybe the climax should be happening, when I'm getting to the end, how much longer do I have. But Hmm. anyway... That's just one thing I noticed. Got real awesome. into that miniseries, man. It, I it was good and I, I liked the cast. I think that was the big thing was yeah. I mean, Michael Shannon's in there. He's an actor I really like. Um mm. he he always does a good job, I think. But yeah, enjoyed it, man. Waco, guys, check it out. It's on Netflix if you have it. If you don't Very have Netflix, I have no idea where else you should look. May, maybe Amazon Prime, but then you'd have to like pay per episode and that would get it's expensive. You know? Yeah. But anyway, that's that's all we got, man. I, I say I say we say our goodbyes, hit the music and uh get out of here. Get on out of here. All right. We'll see you all later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Parallel Quest. Please be sure to head over to steellakestudio.com to find out more about the other things that we make and be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating as well, we appreciate that. Thank you so much to Jake Butler for providing our bumper music. And as we like to say before we leave, we'll see you next time on Parallel Quest.